Well, it's under my uh, personal opinion that Jesus makes for a terrible superhero. And some of you are probably just got a little concerned. I thought this was church. I thought Jesus is the answer to everything. But hear me out. If that even kind of stuck with you, maybe you resonate deeply with that or maybe there was something within you. As I grew up, I was kind of in my formative years. The, the Jesus that was portrayed to me, I didn't really like. I don't know if it's cool if I can say that. If you can judge me, that's fine. But like the Jesus that was given to me early on was one I wasn't super interested in. There wasn't a whole lot about him that said, yeah, when I grow up, I want to be like him. There wasn't a whole lot about him that when they started to talk about saving the world, there wasn't something that stuck out to me to say, oh, yeah, 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 that guy fits. He fits the mold. And if you were to go back in time and you were to talk about maybe who has the power to save the world, they would not have told you that Jesus guy, that, 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 that carpenter from Nazareth in the middle of nowhere. You say, they would have probably said, well, you know, you know about Zeus, the God of all gods. He, he is great and mighty and powerful. He can throw lightning bolts down from the sky. Prometheus, uh, Poseidon, you name it. You had these Greco-Roman pagan gods who had this immense power about them. And yet here we have Jesus who kind of walks on in claiming to be the savior of the world. So I don't know about you, but when it comes to talking about who fits the mold, Jesus doesn't really come to the front of my mind. You know, so the superheroes today, I don't know if you have a favorite superhero, superheroes you like. I think there are three, the top three superheroes in my opinion. Number one, when I think of superheroes, I think of this guy. I think of Iron Man. Iron Man's awesome. He's basically Batman, but just better, right? They're both nerds with a lot of money, but Batman needs all the gadgets. He needs the bat boat, the bat plane, the bat motorcycle, and Iron Man just says, I'm going to be the machine myself. It's pretty awesome. He doesn't need to learn hand-to-hand combat. Instead, he's just going to fire stuff out of his hands. I'm going to keep people at a distance. When I think of superheroes who have the ability to save the world, Iron Man comes to mind. One of the other, uh, probably my favorite superhero, though, uh, when talking about like, who is my favorite superhero, it's this one. Any Spider-Man fans out there? You guys like Spidey? By far, in my opinion, the, my favorite superhero is not maybe the best, but man, he's relatable, isn't he? He's a teenager. He's got acne going on. At least that's the way I think of him. He kind of has that, that interaction. He gets bit by a spider, and then he just has these powers. He can swing from webs. He has super strength, spidey senses. He's awkward around girls. And it's like, yeah, I can relate to this guy, right? Like if somebody is going to be like me to save the world, this guy makes sense. And for 86 years, Spidey has been saving the world in different ways. But when we talk about the best superheroes, there's only one answer, right? Ant-Man. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) When it comes down to the best superhero around, you might not like him. You might think he's kind of OP. Maybe he's a little bit of a cheat code. But when it comes to the best superhero, Clark Kent himself reigns supreme, right? Faster than a what? Speeding bullet, he can leap buildings in a single bound. He's stronger than a locomotive, more powerful than a locomotive. You think about Superman, he's basically without flaws. He can fly so fast that he can spin the world backwards and travel in time. His eyes not just shoot laser beams, but they have x-ray vision as well. His breath can freeze stuff. Like when you talk about people who have the ability to save the world, nobody comes into comparison than this man right here. These are superheroes. 
These are people, when I think about who do I want to be like, who, who, who's going to, to kind of save everything around me, that's what my mind goes to. And then we get introduced to this cat. And in walks Jesus, and we color his pictures. He's always wearing a dress. He has a sash on like he won Homecoming King at Jerusalem High. His sandals, his chacos haven't gone out of style yet, but they're probably close. And this is the guy that we say, this is the savior of the world. He's always standing there like this going, sometimes he's holding a little lamb. It's like, where does that even come from? This is who we claim to be the savior of the world. Come on. What are his powers? What is is he known for? Well, do you know he could control weather and walk on water? Well, yeah. Well, what does he do with it? He makes a point. Okay, mom, right? Did you know he can heal people? He raised a guy from the dead. Okay, so anybody who dies gets raised to life. No, no, he just did that that one time. Okay, but like he's got to be like raw and real. Like if he gets into a fight, what does he do? Does he throw punches back? No, he says to turn the other cheek. There's that one time he flipped a table, but that seemed kind of weird. See, the, the Jesus I got portrayed with was probably a little too pansy. A little too, too nice, if you ask me. This, this, this is the guy who I'm supposed to believe in, chase after, model my life with as the savior of the world. He wasn't the hero that I think I would want. And he certainly wasn't the hero that the people of Israel wanted at the time. But let's be honest, we we know we need him in our life. If hell is an option at the end of the, the, the road, you kind of want him on your side. But beyond that, it's kind of hard at some point to see, is he really worth following, shaping, molding, mimicking our life after? Is he really worth surrendering my whole life for? I don't want to wear a dress or a sash. I'll stop with a messenger bag because Indiana Jones had one, right? But okay, that's about it. And that's kind of the Jesus we get introduced to at an early age. And maybe you've struggled with your kind of framework of Jesus. Maybe Jesus was supposed to be the great healer and he let that loved one die. Maybe Jesus was supposed to be this miraculous miracle banker for you. And you still find yourself in the same situation. Maybe Jesus was supposed to be this life coach, give you good advice, but then whenever he does, you don't really seem to like it. Or in some ways, some instances, it actually makes your life a little bit more difficult. And as we kick off this study through the the gospel, the book of John, I think John's contention for you and I alike is going to be, perhaps you've been seeing Jesus all wrong. Perhaps there's something about the real Jesus that you have missed. And so this is where where John kind of walks in. So this is John, we're we're going back to AD 90 in this time frame. There's an apostle by the name of John, the one uh, disciple of Jesus who wasn't martyred, wasn't killed for his faith. And he's living in this city called Ephesus. There's a book called the book Letter to Ephesians. This is where John is leading, this big, massive church, the third most prominent place in all of the Roman Empire at the time. And around the year 90 AD, he has returned from his exile on the island of Patmos where he was given the revelation from God and he wrote it down eventually called the book of Revelation. And so around this time, John writes two two important books as we call them sometimes in the Bible. He writes the gospel of John and the book of Revelation. Because at this point, the tides have changed. 
The currents of history have started something new and different because the cultural power at this time was a man by the name of Caesar. And Caesar was interesting because he kind of like had to deal with people. He said, hey, hey, if you want to believe what you want to believe, have your own religions, have your own things, that's fine. But when it comes down to it, you have to worship me and you have to worship me above all else. You can believe whatever it is you want to believe. You can have one God, 17 gods, 5,000 gods. I don't care. But as long as you pay tribute to, to, to numero uno, Caesar says that's fine. And so John begins to write this gospel to say this is a little bit different. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they gave you kind of the chronological life of Jesus. They gave you who, where he went, what he did, how things went down. But John says we have a different problem. Because the problem wasn't, did Jesus do what he did? That was, that was already solidified. It was, is he sufficient? Is he worth surrendering your life for? Is he worth potentially losing your head? Because you choose to say, there is only one person that I worship with my life, and his name is not Caesar. And so John, I just imagine him at this point, he's, he's preaching, he's leading a church, and people keep coming up to him. Hey, John. Tell us the stories about what Jesus is like. Tell us the things that, that, that went down. Did, did, did he really cast a legion of demons into a herd of pigs that went off a cliff? Man, what was that like? Tell us again the, the, that story of when, when Lazarus was dead, but now all of a sudden he's alive. Did he really walk on water? Or were you guys just kind of on something and you, you just kind of figured? What was that teaching about being born again? Can you remind us about what Jesus was getting at there? You see, they weren't trying to dissuade people from the events of Jesus' life at this time. They were trying to say, but just don't worship him as if he's the only option. Just don't, just don't think about that. You can believe in him in the way that's safe and kind and comfortable, but man, don't, don't, don't take it too far. And so John kind of finally says, let me write to you to tell you who Jesus truly is was. And what I want to reveal to you, what I want to remind you, what I want to capture is that Jesus was not just a good moral teacher. Jesus was not just a moral example to follow. He is the savior of the world to save the world from its biggest problem. And so as we dive into the book of John, and these are the two questions that I want you to keep in mind. These are the two questions I'm going to keep in mind as we go through this series, chunk by chunk by chunk. It's these two questions. Number one, John's going to say, well, who is Jesus? You have the opportunity to study, to read, to lean in, to define this question for yourself if you haven't already. Or if you're like me, maybe you've grown up with an idea of Jesus that, that, that didn't seem all too super, so to speak. Maybe you've wrestled with Jesus because there are things that you don't really like or agree with and you have the opportunity to define, well, who is Jesus? Not just to you, not just who is Jesus, who was Jesus truly? But then the second question John's going to ask over and over and over and over, do you believe in him? Do you believe in him? Not just do you believe about him, not just do you believe the stories, do you believe in him? Because it's one thing to know the facts, the details, the stories, the history lessons. It's one thing to color the little pictures. It's another thing to believe in such a way that it transforms your life. 
Because when we begin to believe in Jesus, who he said he was, everything changes. Your life, your heart, your priorities, your value, your schedule, your wallet, everything about it begins to change. And John's going to say, don't, don't, don't fall into the trap. So many people fall into this, to this trap. Don't, don't give in to this trap that this is idea that you can know all of the things and you can memorize the verses and you can color the pictures and you can know the details and the stories, but do you actually believe in him? Like, do you have a relationship with him that has dramatically changed everything about you? So welcome to week one to the study through the book of John. You guys ready for this? All right, some of you, three of you. All right, we'll hang out after service. A couple things as we kick off this series for you. Number one, uh, you might have seen these on your way in. We have provided these for you. They're free of charge. Um, they are just blank journals that we would love for you as you take sermon notes so that they're all in one place. So if you're a sermon note taker, you're going to love this. You're probably going to need like four of them through this series, if you will. Uh, those of you who aren't sermon note takers, I'm going to challenge you. For this series, take sermon notes, follow along, study, uh, ask questions, use them in your group, your cohort, those types of things. But we didn't want to just say take notes, take our word for it. We want to provide you with some resources as well too. So, so, so Pastor Samuel uh, kind of did a phenomenal job putting together this little sheet. You can grab these on the table. They give you some ideas of additional resources, things that you can study, things that we are using as we prepare this mes- these messages. There's actually a table uh, by Guest Central where you can pick up some of these, thumb through them. One of the, the resources that uh, Pastor uh, Stephen actually brought to my attention was Charles Swindoll. It's a, it's a, it's a one-volume commentary uh, called Living Insights. It's phenomenal. So I'm going to give this away. Anybody in here want this? Okay, first person to come forward and get this. Here you go. Okay, all right. Channing, let me sign it for you. I'm just kidding. I'm, just, I'm not going to sign it for you. There you go. All right. It, we're giving another one away, second service. So if you want one, just hint. Second service, sit up front right there. It's yours type of deal. Week one, it's going to be a wild tour in another week one, just telling you now, okay? Like December, all right? So just just giving you the heads up for where we are. If you have a Bible, turn with me. Uh, You start every book where? At the end, correct. All right. John chapter 20, okay? Uh, The book of John has 21 chapters, but we're going to start in chapter 20 because I want to show you something. It's important for us to know and to understand what was John's aim with this. John chapter 20, uh, verses 30 and 31. I'm going to read these here, and then we're going to jump all the way back to to the beginning here in a little bit. But I want to show you, because John is going to say, you want to know what I wrote about. You want to know what I kind of set this whole thing up for. This is what he says in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. The last verse of the entire book of John says there were so many things not recorded, all the books on the planet could not contain them. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here's where we're going to start today. And pick a good color. You guys want green, yellow, red? Green. All right. Thank you. All right. So he says something interesting. You're going to see this over and over and over. You're going to see this word believe over and over and over again. It's this Greek word, pistuo. Pistuo. 
Can't, right? And there's this word that, that, that gets translated believe 98 times. 98 times John uses the word pistuo or believe. And here's why that's interesting. Outside of the words Jesus or God, which are used like 275, 150, I think those two, it is the most common word in the Gospel of John. The word truth uh, comes up, I think it's 58 times. The word life is used 48 times. And it's interesting because a little, little hint for you, when you're studying scripture, you're in a group cohort uh, with, your, with your kids at home, discipling them, always look for key phrases that happen over and over and over again. The ancient Greek and Hebrew languages had a short vocabulary. And so they would drive home specific points by using these specific words over and over again. A couple examples. If you were to go to uh, the book of Judges in the Old Testament, you would flip that open, you would notice that 12 times that there was a judge appointed. And there was 12 of these cycles that they went through. That's important for two reasons. Number one, there was 12 different judges, but 12 is also the number of Israel. And so it was this cycle that the people of Israel got caught in that God was trying to break them out of. If you were to flip to uh, the, the letter in the New Testament, the, the book of Philippians, you would notice the word joy or joyful comes up 26 times. In four short chapters, the apostle Paul, who's about to lose his head, says, let me tell you how to be filled with joy. Let me tell you how to be joyful in this life. And so here writes John, and, and John kind of says, you need to believe. Believe, believe Believe, believe, believe. And it's interesting because this word believe is not the same way that we use it. It's not a cognitive thing that I understand facts or dates or details. It's rather to believe is understanding resulting in action. To believe is to understand. understand, But that leads to action. And if we don't wrestle with this, if we don't get this down first, then we're going to kind of miss the point. Because when we say, well, do you believe? We think, do, 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 do you acknowledge it in your mind? Do you believe in, in, in X, Y, Z? Well, yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe. But, but John says, well, no, no, in order to believe, the whole reason I wrote is so that you might believe and that believing in him may give you life in his name. It means you need to have some understanding, but it needs to lead to action. It needs to move from your head down into your heart and out through your hands. That's because believing isn't just purely the details. Believing isn't just being able to recount what he did, where he went. Believing is to understand who he was and then to live accordingly. Put it this way for you this morning is that the Gospel of John isn't about helping you know more about Jesus. He's not into that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they took care of that. What John is saying, I want you to know who he was so that you may believe and live more confidently with him as the source of truth, as the source of life for your life. This is where John's gospel differs from the three others. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they're sometimes referred to as the synoptic gospels. They gave you the timeline. They gave you what, where, how Jesus lived this life, but John comes in a few decades later and says, let me give you who he was. Because if you can't understand who he was, 
then you will miss out on the entirety, the life that he has in store for you. All right? John chapter 1. So if you're ready there, if you already opened it, you got extra credit. Jesus is really proud of you for that. So to believe is understanding resulting in action. John chapter 1. We're going to kick it off this morning. Uh, If you're already there, you just go to the left, uh, a handful of pages. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels. And we're going to dive into this book together today. If you're there, say there. And here we go. In John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the word. If you have a Bible with you, circle, highlight, underline that word, word, every single time it comes up here in these couple verses. And you'll notice something peculiar about the word, word here, is that it has a what? A capital W. Very good, class. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love how one commentator put this about the, this particular section, but all of the Gospel of John. He says, John is the easiest to understand and the most spiritually complex all at the same time. And I feel that deeply here in just these five verses. And so, so John begins, he says, let me tell you about who Jesus was and let me tell you where we need to start. And he says, in the beginning was the word. Now, the word, word, is this Greek word, logos. And in ancient Middle East, Greek philosophy had this idea that there was a thing that held everything together, that there was a power, that there was a source, that there was something that that when explained things happened is because of the logos, and there are things that didn't happen that we couldn't explain that was the logos, Why is it that nature does the same thing? Why is it that the sun rises and then sets? Why is it that we have instinctive things within us? This moral code of right or wrong, when they could not define something, they would say that's because the logos is at work. And so John comes in, he says, you, you've heard about this logos, you've heard about this thing, you've heard about this so-called like force that's in every living thing and holds all living things together. He says, I'm going to tell you exactly who it is. And so he says, in the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. He is that thing. He is that thing and nothing else is. If Jesus were to go away, if the Logos were to disappear, all chaos would ensue. And some of you said, my wife must be the Logos of our home then because when she leaves, our house breaks off into chaos. And so John's point is he begins, he says, if you want to fundamentally understand who the Savior of the world is, you must start here. It's interesting, though, because John's gospel is so different. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Let me draw a little timeline for you here. When you think about the Gospels, most of the Gospels, 
especially Matthew, Matthew and Luke, they're going to take you from the birth of Jesus to the death of Jesus to the resurrection of Jesus. That's the tomb. Okay, we'll put the stone over here, right? Right? Easter, yay! All that type of stuff, right? Most of the Gospels, they're going to say, once upon a time, there was a family, and the family had a kid, da 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 these generations, so on and so forth. They're going to say, this is what you need to know about Jesus. This is where it started all began. Mark comes in and actually just says, all you really, really need to know and understand is just this. Mark comes in, and he says, let's forget about who Jesus was before. Let's forget about his family. Let's just come in. John begins, in the beginning... Harkens back to Genesis chapter 1. John says, in order for you to understand who Jesus truly is, you need to go all the way back to the beginning of time. In the beginning, he was there. In the beginning, he was God. In the beginning, he was with God. He's a part of this triune Godhead that holds everything together. John says, Matthew, Mark, Luke, They'll give you the chronology. They'll give you the events. Let me tell you about the word. Let me tell you about the logos. It's curious. Why? Why do we need to know that it goes all the way back to the beginning? It's because he wants to build a foundation. Is that if the problem for many people following Jesus isn't necessarily to some degree, did he actually live? Did he walk this earth? Did he live or did he die? It's, is he sufficient? Is he strong enough? Is he powerful enough? Is he capable to save the world from its biggest problem? And is he worth believing in in the first place? And so John says, if that is our question, if that is our motif, if our thesis is helping one another understand, then, then John's just freaking brilliant. So let me tell you about the Logos, holding it together. And it's in this verse, or these couple of verses, that it presses into us to decide and to discern. And lean in, I want you to get this. Is what is the biggest problem you need answered in life? John's going to write. He's going to pause. What is the biggest issue? What is the biggest thing that you need solved as a human being here and now? And if you say that the biggest issue I need solved is this pain, turmoil, these bills, if the biggest issue that you need solved is a loved one who's going through some suffering or cancer, if you've got this child, if you've got this thing, if you've got uncertainty, all valid problems, all things nobody likes to walk through. But if you would say that that is the things I need solved more than anything else, John's going to say, cool, you need a superhero, not a savior. But if you have the ability to step back and say, while that list of things is not fun, while that list of things is not ideal, while that list of things may be holding me back from experiencing life is, 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 is tumultuous and I don't want to go through it, Jesus is going to say, yeah, I know you don't, but there's something deeper. 
There is something more foundational. There is something within each and every one of us that's causing those problems. And I am coming to fix that. And so if all you want is somebody to fix the problems of this life here and now, go find Iron Man, go find Superman, go find Spidey, go find Thor, go find Wonder Woman, go find one of them. But if what you are able to resolve and to say is that the greatest issue plaguing me, my life, and the world around us is that there's this thing called sin. And it is holding back God's creation to flourish. This word tov, the shalom has been broken that he desperately wants to put together. He said, if you can resolve that and say that, and and be honest with yourself, that is ultimately the greatest issue I have because that sin is going to separate me eternally from a loving, righteous, holy, and yes, full of wrath, Father in heaven. And so if you can say yes, that that is the issue, then John says, good. Because there was the logos. There was the word. And he came. And he lived. And he dwelt among us. So that you might believe. 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 And have life in him. So he begins here, just three quick things. This is what's necessary for you to have a savior, not just a superhero. A real life, in the flesh, capable, sufficient savior. Number one, he says the word was divine. The word has to be divine, other, set apart. There has to be something different than you and I. There has to be something distinct and set apart. In the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. Think about it. If your computer gets a virus, what do you need? You don't ask the computer what's wrong, how to get there. It's already been corrupted. You need a source from the outside to come in to say, here's the problem, here's how it got here, here's how we fix it, and here's how we put up guardrails to hopefully keep it from happening again. And for a lot of us, it's the same thing. Our humanity within ourselves and in our world around us is broken. And so that means you cannot look to other humanity to save or solve your problems. You need something divine. You need something other. You need something set apart. That's the first thing. John says, number two, number two, the logos, the word was creator. Through him all things were made, and nothing that was made has been made. When there is a problem in life, you need someone or something with the proven strength and sufficiency, the capability, the reliability to put it back together. If your car breaks down, your refrigerator breaks, if, I don't know, something starts going haywire, the best person, if you could call them, would be to get the person who put it together in the first place to come take a look. If something is broken or, and you need to figure out, I don't know what to go, I don't know how to, he's going to say, cool, 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 cool. I do because I built it. I know how it works. I know how it's supposed to function. I wrote the manual. And so that's what John is saying, that when Jesus or the Lagos, the word is creator, he is saying he knows how it's supposed to function, and he knows how to fix it when it's not functioning properly. That is why the Lagos must be creator. Number three, as I wrap up this morning, is he says that the Lagos, the word, the Savior must be the source 
of life. If the pervasive issue for all of us is sin, death, darkness, then didn't it make sense, wouldn't it make sense to have somebody who brings the opposite, who brings righteousness, who brings life, who brings light? Like if your soul is dehydrated, what you don't need is a donut or a steak or a burrito, all good. If your soul is dehydrated, what you need is, is living water. It's the only thing you need. And we've convinced ourselves that while our souls are dehydrated, oh, just give me something that kind of looks good, tastes good, can hold me over. And Jesus says, I've come that you might have life. I know what's missing. I know what's broken. I know how to give you living water that will last, not just for this life, but for eternity. So John, he writes this epilogue. He begins to paint this beautiful mosaic of here's who Jesus is. And if you want to believe in him, you start here. You cannot save yourself. The world cannot fix itself all at the same time. The world, there's a logos. And just by living in this world, you understand two things about that. Number one, that you ain't it. And number two, that it is certainly not functioning the way it should. And so John says, in the beginning was the word. And he came so that you might pistuo, so you might believe. And if you do, if you do, if you more so than just learn the facts and color the pictures and understand the stories, if you believe, hope, trust everything about him, then you will have life and life everlasting. So what is it that you're looking for? What is it that you're searching for when you get faced with the problems of this life? Savior, superhero. I'll close it with this final thought this morning as we prepare for communion is that we don't need a hero, a genie, a politician, a banker, a consultant, a life coach. John's going to say what you need, what we all need, is a savior to believe in. Believe you want in all of those other things, but they can't solve the darkness issue. They can't solve the death issue. They can't solve the sin issue. Only one can. And his name is Jesus. And that's what this series is all about. Is how do we understand who Jesus was to believe in him. But to believe in him in his own words. As we continue to worship this morning, we're going to enter into a time of communion. As you come into our auditorium every Sunday, you have the opportunity to grab the elements. It's the little cracker uh, and juice combo. And the cracker represents the body of Christ broken for you. The juice represents the blood of Christ shed for you. And perhaps there is no greater day than today for us to remember why we celebrate and we worship through communion. It's because Jesus is alive. 
It's because Jesus is powerful. It's because Jesus is sufficient. But mainly because we believe in him to be the savior of the world. The savior for you and I. The savior for your kids. The savior for your spouse. The savior for your neighbors. And yes, the savior for those you disagree with. The savior for those you don't see eye to eye that anyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And as you wrestle with that, reflect on that, pray on that this morning, we're gonna give you some time to also to consider what it is that Jesus might be asking you to surrender. Maybe you need to surrender that you've been looking for a superhero and not a savior. Surrender that. Maybe he's asking you to surrender the things that hold you back. You believe in him, you, you know him, but you know that there's some things that would have to change in order for you to believe in him. And there are others of you that, that have yet to take that step. You have yet to say, I'm a sinner. And by grace, through the love of Jesus Christ, I am welcomed into the family of God. And if that's you this morning, I want you to make that commitment. I want you to know that it's nothing that you have to achieve, but it's something that you can receive from the glorious good news, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning, one thing I would just ask is after service, now I'm gonna be sitting up here. And if you're here this morning because you want to believe in him, like I said, I'm done looking for superheroes. I want to believe in the Savior to overcome my sin and welcome me into life. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray over you and welcome you into the family of God. So if that's you and that is what is being prompted today, after service, come find me. And we would love to have that conversation and welcome you into the family of God. Let's pray as we continue to worship this morning. Jesus. You are the Logos, you are the Word. We wanna believe in 